0: Guys.co.uk Network Radio. This week's guest is Dr. Kevin Emery, channeler, spiritual counsellor, author, and spiritual activist. Kevin has also done some wonderful work for people with ADHD. You can find out more about his work by visiting his website at weboflight.com. Another warm welcome to uh, Dr. Kevin. It's great to have you back. How are you doing? Great to be here as always. Fantastic. Okay. What I thought is just jump straight in, actually. The last time we spoke, we we kind of ended the show on a weird kind of synchronicity um, where I gave an analogy of a mirror, Um, do you remember, in the last show? And then you kind of said, wow, that's amazing, because uh, I've actually written a book about um, combing the mirror, which kind of talks about those concepts. So I thought that'd be a cracking way to open the show anyway. So do you want to fire away?
1: Um, I think that that's a great way to, uh, great way to, uh, start, uh, this show. Um, one of the things is, of course, the name of my book is called Combing the Mirror and Other Steps in Your Spiritual Path. And it was really created to be a bit of a primer. One of, one of the things, uh, Ian, is that I... You look out there, and, you know, when I first started doing a lot of spiritual work and really started getting into this field 30 years ago, I mean, I'm not saying you didn't have books, but you don't have what you have out today. You know, you have tons and tons, thousands, if not millions of books out uh, on all sorts of things from A to Z spirituality, you know, some which are really, uh, you know, really good and powerful, and some which are, you know, well... You can use them to even up the table if it's sloppy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And when I wrote this book, because this book has been out since 1995, uh, 1998, sorry, since 1998, it came out at the beginning of 1998, and part of what it was is, you know, by that point, I I was well into my practice as a spiritual coach and counselor. I had people who were very much interested in spirituality and, you know, obviously, and that's why they were choosing to work with me. And I couldn't believe the amount of bad information or no information they had on what I thought was some just pretty simple basics. Uh, And so what it led me to do was it led me to write Call Me in the Mirror, and one of the premises is that I wanted it very accessible. You know, I don't know if uh, you know the the whole uh, series is real popular over there in England. I know it's popular over here. You can get you know this for dummies and that for dummies.
0: Yes, uh, we do have that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But even some of those, if you look at it, are minor tomes that you have to pick up with a with a with a uh, with a crane, and and you know and it's supposed to be a for dummies book.
0: Hmm.
1: Well. To me, if you're writing a book, quote unquote, for dummies or the idiot's guide to, well, then you're trying to talk at a very easily easily accessible level. So what are the other thousand pages? So when I wrote *Coming in the Mirror*, one of the things I did is I um, tried to cover basically from how we come in, things like soul, soul agreements, contracts. Things about past lives, through childhood, and putting our tapestry together, and uh, all the way to how to be in the present and how to understand and manifest the future you want, which sounds like a huge undertaking if you if you think about the scope of it. Uh, and yet, I basically did it all in 134 pages.
0: Okay, that's pretty good. Hey.
1: <laughs> And you know and and it's not the it's not the in depth. any one of my chapters, I'm sure that there are people that have spent three to five hundred pages writing about, and I've done it in three to five pages. There is no chapter that's long within five pages.
0: okay, so you've kind of you cut out the crap basically and just knuckle down into the the core stuff that people should know about
1: and as you do it, one of the things that happens is each chapter, each chapter comes with a homework assignment. So you are here to apply it. How do I, you know, how do I apply this information? What does it mean in my life? Because, you know, you and I have talked enough times. At the end of the day, I'm very practical. And it's always about how can I make my clients or my readers' life better today? How can I help them today? Um, And I want that help to be in a practical way. And so I was like, okay, let's just get down to the core. What are the core basics? Now, when I wrote this book, I was thinking of it more as like a spiritual primer. that somebody could walk through, read this book, if they found something they were really drawn to, they could find a hundred other books that would go into hundreds and hundreds of pages of detail if that's what made them happy. Or they could walk away and feel like they had a general overall feeling. After it came out, oftentimes I would find people who... Had written books themselves or who had been doing spiritual work for years and years and years, that would contact me and say, I love your book. You made it so simple, you made it so accessible. Yeah. And then I started to realize that it wasn't just for the person who was saying, Oh, I think I'd like to have a spiritual path. It could equally be for the person who, along the way, has become obsessed or hyper focused in some area of spirituality but have not done the broad brushstroke um, and looking at that. And so that's how the book got written. And of course, again, because it, it really spun out of my spiritual coaching and counseling practice, it has the homework because information without application is useless.
0: Yeah. So just to give, uh, to give the listeners a, a context of what's in the book, um, can you just sort of go through one of the chapters um, or one of the one of the chapters that's probably most riveting or most people are interested in reading about
1: um, okay you mentioned well, the sort
0: of soul groups and the, the coming back and, and what, what's your take on all on that side of things
1: well one of the things is my take on it is that we go through we go through from lifetime to lifetime, and we have groups of souls. And I don't even go into the groups of soul thing. I I keep this book focused on when you come into this lifetime, and I think the chapter is called Take a Number, Please. Um, And as you come into this lifetime, you come in with, these are the experiences I haven't had yet that I want to have in this lifetime. You also come in with a these are the experiences that I've done and I did not complete successfully. I didn't get the message. I didn't get the lesson. I didn't integrate it. And so these are lessons that I want to bring back and I want to figure out how to do them this way this time and get it, quote-unquote, get it right. And then we bring in, and I have soul agreements. And some of those soul agreements may be to that some of these lessons are with people that I've had the lessons with before and we didn't get it right together, and we're going to try to get it right this time. So we're going to dance the dance. Maybe we danced the dance last time, and I was the husband and you were the wife, and maybe this time I'll be the husband and you'll be the wife, or I'll be the parent and you'll be the child. But we're going to play this role out again because there was something we didn't get about it the last time we did it. Now, one of the misconceptions I want to correct out there is sometimes people feel as though that they are trapped by one of those soul agreements of you and I are going to work out this lesson together. But you start the process of working it out, and the other person doesn't. Let's say, for example, in that you're supposed to learn an experience about how to stand up for yourself and set boundaries in a personal relationship. You end up falling in love with somebody you know, you know, you're you're born of a parent who has no boundaries and is all over your life and treats your life like it's their own... like you have their own private dress-up doll and your life is their own favorite soap opera. And you don't really get that. You don't really ever stand up to the parent or you never really, you know, you, you kind of hide and dodge. Maybe you just choose to move to Australia so that you just don't have to deal with it. But you didn't really get it. You didn't get what you needed to. And so... A backup. You have somebody comes in, and you have a relationship with that person, and that same thing is happening. They're all over your life. You've drawn them to you. They don't have any boundaries and things like this. But somewhere along the line, the mother was just the warm up, because the real healing was going to happen between you and this person. So, ideally, it's they're supposed to learn how to set boundaries, how to honor boundaries, because you're going to teach them how to do it by setting boundaries. Well, that's the perfect little scenario that your higher self and their higher self sketched out in the sketchbook before you were born. Now, what happens is we have this little little tiny thing called free will choice, which, like, screws up the game at every turn. And you start setting boundaries, and she doesn't get it she just keeps pushing forward, she gets worse, she gets worse, she becomes shrewish, she becomes a nightmare. Some people in the spiritual world would say, you have to stay with her until she gets it or this lesson goes unlearned. And that's not true. You need to set up, set the boundaries. If she doesn't honor it, if she doesn't get it, you get to walk out because you've got the message.
0: Yeah. She,
1: you know, You don't have to go back and resolve it with the same person. Yeah. Yeah, you'll hear that. You'll hear it's kind of like, oh, I'm stuck with this person because I did this to them half life. I'm stuck. I have to be here. No, you
0: yeah. don't. It's like the person who's been abused. They don't have to take the abuse, do they? They can actually um, get the courage and walk out.
1: So, um, and so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of an example as we put it together. So we have soul groups. We have souls that we tend to cycle back in and out of our life. We can have some new souls that will show up in a lifetime. They might be an extension of somebody who's in our soul groups, their soul group, because it's not like, it's not like the group is a closed number. It's not like your soul group, Ian, is 385. It started at 385, and it will never be any bigger than 385. And you have to figure out how to make it work with 385 people, and then we'll kick you upstairs. Sometimes called ascension. It would be nice, but it doesn't work that way. So our soul groups and collectives will shift, they'll change, they'll go in, they'll go out. Now, um, you asked me about one of the chapters, and I I have chosen a chapter that I'd like to read you, if that's what you wanted me to do, because they're all short.
0: Absolutely, yeah, go for it.
1: This is called Elf, Ego, and Belief Systems. Um. To understand how to work with your elf and your ego to maximize your life, we need to begin with a working definition of what we mean. Ego is your unique expression of spirit. Belief systems, BS, are those (laughs) ideas which you were trained to believe from the earliest childhood. Many times we were indoctrinated with these to the point where not to follow them would affect everything from finding true love and being accepted by everyone to our immortal soul. We were conditioned and forced into becoming pasteurized and homogenized versions of whatever belief systems our environment dictated. Our individual uniqueness was only promoted as long as it was within the comfort zones of our caretakers. We many times have redefined what we refer to as ego, by what I refer to as belief systems, which is not our unique expression of spirit, but our reactions to the world through the eyes of conditioning, which is often either fear-based or comes from ignorance. This is why people will often refer to the ego as that which is meant to protect us from extinction. It is tied to our animal-based instincts we do have animal-based instincts, and they are part of our individual expression of spirit. As I explained in my earlier book, Experiment Earth, that is from the animal connection we as souls created prior to our having bodies at all. We are taught the most desirable condition is the one where we are in control of situations, emotions, desires, etc. The reason our, our BS belief systems need to control so much is because control is an illusion, as is the majority of what our belief systems were constructed from originally. Illusion. Also remember, the ego is the way we apply the messages from spirit, which has very little to do with control. But as we have been further and further separated from the God within ourselves, we have trained the BS to take on a bigger and bigger role in our life. Mm. We have been trained to listen less to our gut instinct and more to what our logical mind is conditioned to believe. The rate of suicide may be so high today because of an ego slash BS, which has become short-circuited with the overload of responsibilities that it was never meant to have. Then we have ELF. First, let's clear up the image of a little person who lives in the woods. In this book, ELF is an acronym for Essential Life Force, and that is simply your inner connection to the universe. This direct line is supposed to give you the guidance you need to live your daily life, follow your life's path, and fulfill your soul's purpose. Ideally, by the time you reach adulthood, you should function with greater than 90% elf. So how did we get so far off track? As spirituality we received from established religions fell even, ever more victim to a need for control, we began to believe less and less in the church and became more and more afraid of the questions and the answers. As doctrine became more important than the spirituality itself, we moved into the age of reason, with logic and fear-based doctrine becoming our God. The important thing at this point, however, is this process happens in our lives today and how we can reverse it. When we are first born, we may still be sorting out things from our last incarnation, As babies, we dream and have nightmares. As the memories fade back into the subconscious, we move into the business of survival all over again. As we learn basic survival skills, what's hot, how to walk, how to fall down, etc., we have little fear. The ego is being trained and developed as it should be. Around four to five years old, children have very thin veils and are very in touch with their elf self. The highest number of recorded spontaneous past life recalls is within this group. They're also sensitive to ghosts, auras, and other psychic abilities. At this point, most parents respond to these abilities with comments like, you have such a vivid imagination, or didn't I tell you not to lie? What do you mean you see colors around me? There must be something wrong with your eyes. No, there are no such things as ghosts, only Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny.
0: So true.
1: Or even worse, if you see or know those things, then you are evil, and the devil is working through you. This sets up the first stages of not believing in yourself, not trusting your instincts, and the beginning of a lifetime full of mixed messages, or of being scared to death of some eternal damnation. This is how we slowly started hammering down the elf and replacing it with a fear-based ego, which is becoming more, which which is becoming more and more BS. As we subject our children to BF concepts, such as win-lose, prejudice, and scarcity, we keep building the BS and beating down the L. Most of the institutions to which we subject our children speak in black and white. They use dog-collar terms to interfere with the children's ability to trust themselves and to be themselves. Dog-collar terms are those terms which indicate judgment. They're spoken in absolutes and are used to keep people in line or on a leash. These terms are very prevalent in our culture when we say something is black or white, good or evil. These and many more are used to make us fall into obedience with thoughts and beliefs of the institution, church, school, society, family, that wants to be in control. Our children grow up either not believing in or trusting anyone else or trusting someone else too much. Our children are stripped away of the ability to love and trust and believe in themselves and then we wonder why they feel and act in a self-abusive or unempowered way. In fact, we participated in stripping from them their ability to love, to trust, and to believe in themselves. It is time to examine some of the basic differences between ALF and the belief systems which have been indoctrinated. Part of our work is to learn how to determine when ego is giving us information and when we're getting it from ALF. Remember, ego, in its purest form, is an expression of your uniqueness. It is not doctrine. It is not dogma or a set moral code. Often, however, what is reacting to any given situation is from the BS we were taught. And so after that, the the reader gets a homework assignment, and they also get an ELF-BS ego chart so they can start to look at certain things and say, when I think in that terms, I'm really thinking BS this is how my elf would handle it, and this is what my ego might say, which your ego is not necessarily wrong. Sometimes the ego is the best choice because it is our unique expression of of ourselves. And we come to this planet to become our version of God. We're supposed to be our own unique version of God. You know, we we were never created to fit into some factory line kind of, you know, okay... This is what you look like. this is who you're supposed to be. That's never how it was created. So that's an example. I mean that chapter the chapter I read you was not quite three pages long.
0: No, okay I mean it sounds very, very important what you've read out there actually because you know I feel we're living in a time now where <clears throat> we we people have people realize that we've been controlled and conditioned. And, you know, we've got all these belief systems that kind of keep us rigid or, um, I suppose, stops us being who we truly are. You know, a lot of it's like fear tactics, fear mongering, and people put limitations on themselves. They believe they can't do something. They believe they're not free. I think that's a big thing, isn't it? We don't believe we're free, and so therefore we put up being controlled, whether that's in a job or a situation. But... In the end, at the end of the day, it's all an illusion, isn't it? We are actually free, but I suppose the difficulty is because we live in a society that's based on money and scarcity. It's very hard to step out of that.
1: Well, and one of the things is, and this is part of the this is part of the training that happens to us, um, especially in the Western world, is both religion and traditional psychology methods have made the ego a bad thing and one of the one of the uh, one of the soapboxes i carry one of the banners i carry is ego is not a bad thing and every time we accept that ego is a bad thing what we are truly accepting is being who we are is a bad thing we have bastardized the word because anybody who has a strong ego a strong sense of self and is truly in touch with the divine, is not going to become a sheeple. You know, it's not going to become one of the apathetic followers that just, you know, bows and genuflects and throws money in the collection plate or shows up in the, you know, uh, you know on time every day, Monday through Friday, you know, giving their life to, you know, the corporation or to the institution or whatever they're going to stand out. They're going to cry out. They're going to yell foul. They're going to challenge it. And we want people to have strong egos. We want people to develop their uniqueness, but it is challenging. And so what we've done is we have gone through this campaign, Ian, of telling everybody, well, you know, somebody is egotistical. It's like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I have to sit with clients and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm not supposed to be selfish. I'm like, you're not? Excuse me? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, okay, so if you're not selfish, what are you? You're selfless, right? Oh, yes. And that's what you want to be is selfless. It's like Okay. So you want to be less of self. You want to be less of who you are. But being full of yourself, being full of who you are, is a bad thing. Now, do you want to explain to me why that's a bad thing?
0: Wow. And they get conf- yeah, they get confused.
1: They get confused, and it's like, you know, we want to be selfish, that that we want to be selfish people who are capable of doing selfless acts when it's appropriate. But who are the people that always tell you you're being selfish? The people that want something from you that you don't want to give them. Right? Mm-hmm. You're being selfish if you don't want to put, you know, your 10% in the collection plate. You're being selfish if you don't want to genuflect at a job you hate so that somebody else can make lots of money while you're not getting paid fairly. You know, you're, you know, I mean, every time, you know, I'm not going to say every time, but a lot of times when people use the word selfish, what they're saying is, hey, with you being selfish, I can't be. Yeah. So stop being selfish. Hmm. And we, don't want self- we want selfless acts, which is acts where we say, in this moment, it's for the greater good. A selfless act is somebody has just been hit by a car, and you call 911, and you throw a coat over him, and you stay with him, and you make sure you don't care you're going to be late for the meeting. Because you put the needs of somebody else over yourself in an act. Not as a day-in and day-out way of living. That's martyrdom
0: i think in the spiritual movement though people get bashed over the head with the word ego don't they um i've I've heard it oftentimes where if people are thinking too much of the material plane even so you know a classic example is that um everything's love and light and you shouldn't even focus on the bad things in the world even though people are dying of starvation and hunger um Or there's wars going on. Oh, don't focus on that. Leave that alone. Because by focusing on that, that's ego. I've heard words like that. And I think there's a real confusion in the spiritual community with the word ego.
1: Well, you know, part of it is um, you you look at it and some of what they say about ego is really what they're saying is about belief systems. And that's why in the book I separate them out. Get really clear. Because every time you discover that something is a belief system, then you can go in, see where it came from, and you can choose whether you want to continue to have that belief system if that's the way you want to live and that's the kind of person you want to be. And let me tell you, it says it takes somebody who has a very strong ego to look their belief systems in the face and be able to challenge them and make a choice to change them and be different from the environment they came from. That takes an act of strength and strikes his ego. But what they do is they banter terms around and they get them muddied up, not realizing in the New Age spiritual community that, I mean, I don't want to sound as much an alarmist, but it's a conspiracy. Telling ourselves, oh, it's bad, your ego's bad, 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 is a conspiracy to keep us disempowered.
0: Yeah, it's almost like every time you step out of line or you put your head up, the parapet and try to do something um, positive or big, you know, sort of definitive, you get attacked for being egotistical. So you kind of oh. get back, back down again, like, hey, bash you on the head and become more passive. <laughs>
1: oh, like, yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. And who do you think you are? Aren't you getting ahead of yourself? Aren't you getting above yourself? Aren't you getting too big for your britches? Yeah, well, that has to do with the food I'm eating. That has nothing to do with the cause I'm supporting. Oh. <laughs> you know, of course, you're going to hear the, you're going to hear the creak of the soapbox, uh, Ian, because I'm really, I've been really winding up lately. You're, you're, you're catching me. You're ca- I've had three radio interviews in the last four days from various parts of the world. And, um, you know, and I'm really ready. I'm stepping more and more into my spiritual activism. I'm getting really fed up with the New Age spiritual community and their wishy-washy, willy-nilly way that they just allow themselves to go quiet and put up with all of the abuse that we get from our governments, from our health associations that tell us what we do isn't legitimate, that, um, you know, every time over here, and I'm sure it happens, I know it happens over there because I've got enough friends over there and I've been there enough, that something comes up that you can have some conservative or some fanatical or, you know, some fundamentalist get up and pound on a Bible or quote scripture or talk about, you know, moral imperatives. You hear the collective sound of them getting up there and beating us with their belief systems. And where's the spiritual community? Where is the spiritual community? Where are the spiritual leaders where are they, are they standing out? Are they making comments? Are they taking stands? Or are they too busy being light and fluffy and gentle and airy and fairy? and Oh, when you're spiritual, you don't do conflict. What a load of crap. How do we let people know there are other options if we don't speak out, speak up? Say, hey, excuse me, that whole Bible thing? Load of shit. Yeah. Don't see your Bible. You want your Bible? You stand on it. But you stand on it by yourself. But your Bible doesn't get to run my life. And we don't do it. And alternatives, I don't, it's not as bad. Well, no, actually, it's getting worse in England and Europe now. Um, you know, as more pharmaceuticals are bribing more officials, you know, it's like, oh, 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 oh we have to be careful now. We have to write, you know, entertainment purposes only on our literature, and we have to say, oh, well, I would never recommend because I can't possibly say anything that might indicate that this might help you because, you know, you really have to go to your medical doctor 5,000 times and have them almost kill you with drugs and misdiagnoses, and then I still have to apologetically say, I might have a thought for you, oh, but don't take it too seriously because I'm not real. Why do we put up with that? Sorry. Sorry.
0: I'm no, it's, it's true. No, it's very, very true. I mean, I've I've heard um, some people suggest that um, it's almost like there's been you know you know you know almost like religion. Someone comes along and they kind of mould religion and they make people feel as if they've been born into sin. They make them feel guilty. Um, so basically, all these fear stuff kind of keeps them limited and weak. But it's almost like in the New Age movement, there's this kind of fluffy thing that's been put into it that's kind of made everyone passive and docile, and no one does anything. But then on the outside, you've got spiritual activists, like you just said yourself. And, you know, I kind of follow a lot of stuff that happens with Greenpeace. And There's a wonderful website called avaz.org. And it's just like lots of people are coming together, speaking up about things that are happening in the world, um, you know, do, they're sort of signing petitions. They're making a stand. They're attending, uh, flash mobbing, but really just speaking up and, and being out there. And I would say that inwardly they're probably very, very spiritual, but they don't know it. But they're yeah. doing they're doing the right thing. And I think there's a danger when you almost declare yourself to be spiritual that you become almost paralysed and and don't do anything.
1: Well, and part of it is that you know. I have some fabulous news to share with you. Um, since the last time we spoke, um, there's a uh, there's an internet radio station over here called Voice America. It's, it's because it's internet radio. It's worldwide. Yeah. You know, it's one of the largest and oldest internet radio shows. Yeah, they 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 were at the kind of forefront of internet radio. And about a month ago, they actually approached me and offered me a contract and they want to syndicate my show. Yeah. And I'm going to do a syndication with them. I signed the contract I'm going to do a syndication for like 13 weeks of just the best of of outside the box with Dr. Kevin. Um, And then we'll do a once a week live show starting in January. And, you know, and their spiritual channel gets about 700,000 listeners. Okay. Which, Which is a huge bump for me. Yeah. You know. And so, but in all of this happening, you know, because I'm, I'm only, you know, I'm going to be there once a week, and I'm still going to do my own stuff on Web of Light Radio at weboflight.com, and still produce the other shows I do. At the same time, I also got asked by another radio station to go on theirs and do a once a week show, and when I was talking to them, and this brings it back to all this activism stuff, if you wondered why I was going around the barn, um is I was being interviewed by somebody on this radio station called uh, IPM Nation. And it's kind of an up-and-coming, and they're trying to be very edgy and you know, kind of be out there. And they heard me being interviewed, and they asked me if I would be uh, by one of their people. They asked me if I'd do a show for them. And the show, I had been talking on the interview a lot that day, and I kept on using the phrase about coming out of the closet. And I said, you know, and, you know, I know a lot of times people think coming out of the closet means, you know, about, you know, like being gay or lesbian. But really it has a larger meaning. And what I kept on finding myself saying, Ian, was every time we let anyone keep us in the closet about any part of our life, we get hung there and they win. They win by the very fact that we keep our mouth shut. That's why I say, when you're kept in the closet, you get hung there. You get hung up. You can't be who you are. You can't move out. And that this is what's happened to a lot of the spiritual community, you know, because, you know, the AMA over here has come down with a vengeance. And if you get anywhere close to their turf, and, you know, and, and you know, illegalizing some herbs, and you've been, you guys have been fighting some of that battle over there. And, you know, again, and so... We live our lives in fear that, you know, we're going to have a lawsuit or the government's going to come after us and, oh, you're not real and, you know, and you can't help people even if they're asking you for your help. You can't do it. And so I'm actually going to be releasing an, another show at the same time that I'm releasing my one on Voice America called Out of the Closet with Dr. Kevin. And it's like, come on, guys, Out of the Closet is... Be proud about your spirituality. Be proud about your alternative health choices. Be proud about your lifestyle, whatever lifestyle it is. But it's time. We, we, we need to bring this stuff out. The time of quivering in the corner needs to be out. You know, we've got to stand up to the bullies. That's the only way you ever beat a bully is to stand up to them. Mm.
0: Mm. No, it's very true. There's, I, mean, I don't know if it's Einstein or someone made a quote where all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And, um, you know, I've done a show with, um, Kerry and Reb and we've, we've kind of spoke about this at length where, um, you know, it's, it's fine for us to sit back and do nothing, but it's not going to stop bad people from committing bad acts. You know, there's, I don't think we should actually confront them with evil ourselves, but it's kind of, yeah, you know, it's like, I think with Gandhi, he did this thing where he did a non-compliance. So yes, you, you recognize that these people are doing bad, bad things, but you stand up to it. You don't necessarily have to go out there and do evil acts in return. Do you see what I mean?
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, you know, I, I don't want to get into um, a judgment-punishment mode. I just want to have a freedom mode. I just want to have the freedom and I want everyone else to have the freedom to be considered adults, to make choices, and not to have the government tell us what is, what, you know, what's acceptable, what's real, what's not real. You know, um, what kind of healing can you get, uh, and, and who can say what and, what, and what kind of sex can you marry?
0: Hmm.
1: And get the same benefits everyone else does. Now, that's not an issue over there, but, I mean, over here it is, obviously. It's a hotbed issue over here. Yeah. Because we're a bunch of Puritans.
0: Um. but see if if everybody just stood up and went we don't want to take this anymore you know enough's enough this is ridiculous then they couldn't do a thing you know you wouldn't need to have thousands of people millions of people burning um, cars and destroying property but if everyone just stood up and went look this is ridiculous no more of this then a grassroots movement would actually stop the government in their tracks but it's just that everybody seems to be kind of conditioned to do nothing. So you only get, like, pockets of maybe 20 people going to a protest, and it doesn't really do anything.
1: Well, I just... Uh, one of the shows that I just did on uh, Web of Light Radio was um, about... Uh, we did a two-part show on sheeple and apathy, and why do we have so many you know sheep people, sheeple? Why do we have so many... Why do we have so many um, sheeple in this country? Um, and why are people so apathetic? And what creates that? What, is, what creates that condition? Um, and, you know, part of it is just what I was talking about in the book. When we, when we take children at a young age and communicate to them that it is not okay to be them, it's not safe to be them that the tribe throws them out to be them, that they end up in hell or they end up lonely or they never marry or they end up as a derelict on the side of the road or whatever threat we do. And we disempower them, disempower them, and disempower them. We don't support their dreams. We don't support them. And then as they grow up, they go into this gray existence of working jobs they don't want to work, not following their passion, not listening... (laughs) They don't expect that their needs should be met. They don't, they have no impression or no, no center that says that who they are not only is, not that it's okay, but that it's wonderful. That they're supposed to be these things. That these are great things they're supposed to be. And we have successfully through, you know, the, the hypnotic of media, which is another whole subject let's not get mm. started on.
0: Oh, I agree that, with that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, but we have that. And we've created more and more, larger and larger numbers, each generation, of grey people. They're just grey.
0: But, they they but they're targeting even younger and younger people now, aren't they?
1: Oh, absolutely. I've I
0: noticed the five-year-olds and now the new teenagers, really, with, with what they watch and, and the way they act.
1: And, you know, there's been a huge, there's been triple-digit increases of... Uh, medications for all sorts of depression and bipolar and ADHD and ADHD and stuff like this and you know we're now having four or five six year olds that have um, you know that are you know are, are having more having having more pills given to them than their grandparents. What's up with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, depression was unheard of when I was that age. I mean, you never normally got depressed until you was in your teens or later.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you got moody as a five year old, it was go out and play. Yeah, you know, and go out and do something, and you know, what was all this heaviness? What was all of this energy? You know, what was you know what happened to parenting as an interactive concept?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, th- I think there's some very clever um, groups that have broken down society for their own ends and they're, they're, they're masters at manipulation aren't they
1: what we do is we are here with spin doctors and soundbites and everything has been brought down to a soundbite and that's even true in the new age community sometimes, sometimes you hear some of these spiritual soundbites and I just want to vomit you know, it's it really, it's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, if you just focus on the light and the love and ask the angels, then everything will be okay. Well, everything's going to be okay, whether you live or you die. Your soul is indestructible. You know, if you screw up this lifetime, you get to come back and do it again. But let's have a little more conscious awareness. Let's have a little more responsibility-taking. Let's have a little few more, you know, like, let's understand the epiphany and the wake-up calls we get in our life. And let's decide that, you know, uh, you know, and I love this. It's like, you know, if you made a mess of the room, clean it up. If you made a mess of your life, clean it up. And let's keep the, oh, you know, where, oh, I've, some, I've gotten clients before that come in and start to work with me and say, I know I'm just too good for this world. And and, and I really want to say, well, then why don't you just leave it and, like, give, give more air and space to the rest of us who'd like to be here, okay? Uh, you know, the world doesn't understand me. Um, well, there's probably a reason for that. That's probably because you're, you know, full of a load of crap and you shine off a lot of illusionary bullshit. So, how can they understand you? You ain't got a clue who you are. Why should we?
0: Crikey! So, uh, <laughs> you are as well today. <laughs> so, where where do you think it's going to lead to anyway? Do you do you think um, we've got hope? I mean, we are living in a time of awakening, aren't we? And as you say, coming out of the closet is all about waking up, taking personal responsibility, and doing your bit. See, I, I feel that everybody's got a role, okay? So when you, when you say that we've come to Earth this time around, we've got a, a kind of a blueprint, we know what we wanted to work on, I, I believe in my heart that everybody had a little role in that blueprint that said, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to do my bit to move humanity forward. Right. Yep. And, and, some, and s- some of us are doing that and carrying a lot of other people, and others really need to get on board.
1: Well, and it's really kind of interesting because I have I have two thoughts about that, and one thought is that, um, and some people are being born to be obstructionists to see if they can be enough of an obstructionist to moving forward that it will wake up the people that are stuck some people are put in our path to tick us off to actually get us to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, and that's their role. They're like, I've come into this lifetime to be a pain in your butt. And by being a pain in your butt and you know, you're going to go somewhere you wouldn't go if I didn't make it, if, if, if I didn't cause enough pain and you staying where you are. So I move you forward. Now, that's one What's one view I have. Now, sometimes I have people that come in and, you know, and yes, they had horrendous lives at some point and but they seem to get through them, and they started to learn from them, and then they become perpetual new age students, and they're going to study with everybody in the world, and they're never ready to go out and spread their life because they're too busy eating everybody else's. And I go to this one, and I go to that one, and, and those people I lose patience with. I'm like, you know what? There's a bunch of us out here. And we're exhausted and we're tired, and we're working our butt off to bring light in. And I think it's time for you to get get off the fence, don't you? Because we're doing your share while you're busy deciding you're not ready. So get over it and get your ass out here. That's my kind, gentle, and loving side speaking. I just want you to know that.
0: (laughs) Uh, I hate to see your bad side, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Ian, you probably would. Uh, well you've got passion and I, I like a man with passion
1: so you know but I do think that we're at a time where things are shifting Yeah, things are breaking up things are coming to the surface and I think it is the time for, for activism and you know one of the things is that we talk it's, not, it, it, it's right up there with that whole mentality: is if you're spiritual, you should be poor; you shouldn't charge for your services; you should give it all away. If you're spiritual, you should be gentle. If you're spiritual, you know, if somebody slaps your cheek, you turn the other cheek. If somebody slapped my cheek; I stamp on their toe. Now, uh, but if just
0: they to stop the, my cheek y- yeah, if they stop my cheek exactly. by
1: accident that's a different story.
0: Yeah, you know. I was just going to give you a little quick story actually, because I I read a story a few years ago um, about a man that he was a healer, and he wanted to he wanted to offer his house as a healing sanctuary, and he basically um, he gave his life away really and just turned his home into a healing sanctuary. He gave up his job and he didn't want any money off anybody. He put his trust in God that everybody would give him a donation as they entered his house, okay, for healing. And as the story goes, um, not many people left money in the pot and he lost his home. So it's kind of like a story that, you know, we can be too, I don't know, naive sometimes just because there is a God. It doesn't mean to say that everything's going to happen.
1: God helps those that help themselves. And it says that right in the Bible. Not that I should be quoting that book. There should be a lightning bolt headed from the sky at any moment to hit me.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's just a cautionary tale, really, isn't it? But...
1: Well, you know, and it's, you know, and the whole thing is, is that we have to look and we have to speak the language. And the language is people value what they pay for. People respect what they pay for. People have to make choices. They have to see it and value it. I've always said, and this is what I teach all my students, you know, spirit wants spiritual people to have money because we spend it in spiritual ways. You know, we don't, you know, people who are really walking a true self-aware spiritual path are not into overconsumption. Don't base their validation or life on having a, you know, five 20, 20 room mansions that, eat up resources in, you know, four different parts of the world. They don't, you know, they have a respect. They treat the world as a, as a you know, the, the, they treat Mother Earth as a mother. They treat our animals and environment as siblings, as we should. They walk through the world very differently. They're going to support things to bring light into the world. So why would God not want those people to have money? Of course God wants those people to have money, to do good works with. You know? Hmm. And, you know, I, I, I just think that it's, you know, that you have somebody that will pay $100 or 150 or 200 or $250 for a ticket to a baseball game, and they think that they should come and have an hour of my time and not have to pay for it, or two hours of my time and not have to pay for it. Well, what does that tell you? They value the baseball they don't value me. If they don't value me, how much work can I, how much good work can I do for them? You know, in the business world, they call it having a little skin in the game. And I talk to my clients, it's like, I'll work as hard as you do, but I won't work any harder. And, you know, and I really think, I mean, the spiritual community has definitely shifted a little bit on this, but I have one woman I'm supposed to be doing, um, uh, an on-air debate with her that we're going to take because she comes from the belief system of, you know, you can't really be spiritual if you're not giving it all away. And I'm challenging her on it. And I've invited her on my radio show, and we're going to debate it. You know? And it sets out a bad thing because here's a little kid. Here's a little kid, and from the surface, they can go lie, cheat, do drugs, and get a million-dollar or two-million-dollar-a-year contract that allows them to beat up their girlfriends or be abusive to their significant others or, you know, be con artists and have really inappropriate behavior if they're athletically inclined. Now, you're looking at that, or do you look at somebody who is going from, you know, everyday day? kind of trusting that they'll have food, and if they go hungry, then it was meant to be, and they're living in rags, and they're homeless, but they're spiritual. What kind of choice would you make as a child?
0: Well, yeah, of course.
1: You know? We need to be role models that, that this is a prosperous, joyfully prosperous and harmonious, and we have to take the whole sting off the idea that money is evil. Because the Bible never said money was evil. It said the love of money is evil. But that's my keys to prosperity class. Also on DVD. Um. <laughs>
0: I think I don't think it's money as such. I think it's um, it's the way that people that have money. Um, Create scarcity in others so that they can have more, and they create this fear, like a control thing. But then that's, that commodity can be different things. They've used it with religion, they've used it with money, they've used it with health. So it's just a different, um, it's just a different expression of the same thing, really, isn't it? But in yep. the end of the day, it's just energy, isn't it? You know,
1: money is just a form of energy, and it, and it, and the color I. I the color of money is the color of the fingerprints that are handling it. And if you look, use money as a love and light and empowerment and support tool, then that's what it is. If you use money as a weapon, then it's a club that beats somebody. If you use money as a form of revenge or if you use money as a way to build up your ego, your, your, your false ego, not your real ego, but to build up. Your idea that if you have a lot of money, that makes you a better person. I mean, it takes on whatever tinge, whatever... Money is like the great... It's like the great absorber. It comes to us neutral, and the minute we have our hands on it, we change its color by what's on our fingertips, which is our intention and motivation with it.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Yep. Okay. Um, Just... We've got a few more minutes left on the show. Uh, Would you like to wrap it up with anything? Or have you got a message that you want to sort of summarise to our listeners?
1: Well, what I would say is we are in monumental times. And there are lots of changes and shifts going on. And a lot of people are getting dinged, especially with the most recent financial crisis, with everything that's been happening... And people are getting invitations to turn inward, to look at who they are and how they feel about the life. And, you know, the invitation, though, may have come through a a rough situation, a rough time, you know, whether it comes through the loss of a partner or it comes through the loss of a job or the loss of wealth or whatever. It may have come through some kind of act of loss or some kind of... Um, what you might initially perceive as a punishment, but it is an invitation. And I invite all your listeners to accept the invitation to grow into a place to really understand the power, the beauty, and the wealth of being who they are and not be afraid to take the trip. When you're afraid to find out who you are, somewhere along the way, somebody communicated to you that who you are was not enough, was not good enough, was not pretty enough, was not smart enough, was not something. And it is from a place of lack. We only fear discovering who we are that some part of us fears who that is. So release the fear. Surrender it. And I'm not saying it's going to be an easy journey. I'm not going to say it will be a pleasant journey. And it's certainly not going to be a walk in the park. But it will be the most meaningful powerful, positively life-changing journey you will ever go on.
0: Yeah. How's that? No, that's pretty cool. That's a great message. That's a great message. It's a great theme tonight, um, Dr. Kevin, because um, it's kind of... um, The theme's sort of been building up over a few shows anyway, so it's it's just something that I think is important the listeners, uh, I don't know, uh, take away with them, if they're not already doing that as well. I think there's a, there is a lot of activism going on, um, and definitely spiritual sense as well. And I do recommend people look at a website called avaz.org, I believe it is. It's a fantastic site, and they're doing so many different campaigns, um, whether they're sort of raising money for um, helping... Um, I don't know, uh, food crises in some countries or trying to get certain governments to um, look to the climate. I mean, they did a recent one where they had um, a flash mob in 88 different countries. They, they arranged pretty much like thousands of flash mobs to contact the government at exactly the same time to get them to think about climate change and stuff like that. So there's plenty of things people can do. So on that note, um, Kev, Dr. Kevin, you've got a website, www.weboflight.com. Is that right?
1: Yep, www.weboflight.com, and you can get my five-day-a-week radio show there. You can get all my books and products. I've got articles and all sorts of fun stuff out there. Ian, a pleasure as always.
0: You're most welcome. I agree. Thank you very much, and um, we'll chat soon. Great. Okay. Take care.
1: Namaste.